the Gone Bananaza plan. This week, the long-delayed, oft-promised episode where Prairie Sky attempts to convince us to renounce our gondolas are bad religion. Jeffrey Hansen Carlson joins us and attempts to convince us, and you, and all of us, the gondola's success depends on it. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 99. That number is getting very high and very close to a significant and meaningful number because even numbers. But that's a lot, right? Like we've been doing this a long time. A weekly show to get to 100 is, I think, quite an achievement. We should pat ourselves on the back. And while we're being self-congratulatory, let's go to the segment where we congratulate ourselves into thinking that we can do comedy. Billy. Please put your toys away. Show and tell is over. The beleaguered Mr. Watson sighed as he tried to keep the rambunctious group of third graders on task. We have work to do and we have to focus. Billy was nonplussed as he pointed to his new action figure with over 10 movement points and an audio speaker that blasts catchphrases. But mister, mister, it's so cool. The frustrated teacher stopped demonstrating math problems on the projector, preparing to have his conversation again, before Susie, the shy girl from the back of the class, piped up. You know, Billy, it's not about your toys. It's about how you use them. Sometimes the best games are all about imagination and discussion and doing what other people like to do. Pretending. House. Tag. Yeah, sometimes dodgeball or playing G.I. Joe is fun, but not everyone likes it or has all the equipment. Sometimes it's nice to just play pretend together in a way that we all like. Billy paused for a moment, and then slowly, realization dawned across his face. He was finally getting it. Mr. Watson wouldn't have to take away his toys and micromanage. Maybe Billy would finally just get his work done. The small boy nodded a few more times and then said excitedly, Yeah! Yeah! Pretend! I like that! I can pretend the jaywalkers downtown are a threat and use my new $500,000 tank to haul them in. Despite the Oilers predictably not playing in the Stanley Cup Finals, hosted in their home stadium, the Oilers Community Foundation will be bringing back their online 50-50 for the final game. The draws, one of which saw the largest pot ever of $14 million earlier in the playoffs, will occur on each day of the Stanley Cup Final games, seeing entries from 9am to 8pm. With the finals occurring a couple of months later than normal this year, some had expressed concerns to the Charitable Foundation running the draw. But in a statement, the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation said, quote, We're confident with software updates and better management, we should be able to process refunds and announce a 50-50 winner before the next Stanley Cup Finals in 2021. Meet the Edmonton Riverhawks, the new baseball team that will be playing at Remax Field in 2021. The team will be taking over from the Edmonton Prospects, who announced their move to Spruce Grove this year. However, there won't be two Edmonton teams, one of course not being in Edmonton, playing in the same league as the Prospects play in the WCBL and the Riverhawks play in the WCL. When management of the new team was asked why they chose that league instead, the owner replied, quote, hell, I don't know. The Prospects were already in the WCBL, so we chose a new league league not like that dumb league that the dumb prospects are in ours is blackjack and strippers speaking municipally is a proud member of the alberta podcast network locally grown community supported and this episode is brought to you by the shared mic can you remember the last time you spoke to someone from a totally different generation who wasn't a member of your family there is so much we can learn from listening to people both younger and older than ourselves the shared mic conversations for the ages is a unique interview format intergenerational podcast by Age-Friendly Edmonton, bringing together Edmontonians of different ages and backgrounds to discuss topics that matter to them. Season 2 launches October 5th and features conversations about cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theatre, volunteerism, and much more. You can find The Shared Mic on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council, and the city of Edmonton. We've talked many times on this show about a gondola. We usually talk about it somewhat disparagingly. Sometimes we might say, well, at least it's not a monorail. (laughs) We've long tried to get uh, Jeffrey Hansen Carlson onto the show. He's the director at Elliston and 
one of the chief head honchos of the Edmonton Project, and now a director at Prairie Sky Gondola, the Gondola people. And finally, today, despite his better judgment, apparently, he has joined us on the show so we can talk about gondolas. Jeffrey, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. Well, it won't be your pleasure by the end of it, but <laughs> live and let learn. I, I feel like I told you I was going to convince you by the end of this conversation, so I'm, I'm in a good place. All right. Well, that's the first question. Why did you come on the show? Is it to convince us or is it to convince other people about the gondola? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a big story. It, it goes back a few years. It's a compelling story. It, it touches on a lot of existing city priorities. And, and it's just, there's so many facets to this. A lot of people pigeonhole it as just a gondola. But, but the, the conversation is is unique. I'll give it that for sure. But it's also very compelling. And so we've really bunkered down the past five or six months to focus on developing the project technically in terms of being able to come back to the community and say this tangibly is what the project is. Uh, Economically, you know, the big question being, does private industry actually want to do this? Can they do this? Are are they there to do this? And then, of course, uh, negotiating some of the moving parts with the city to ensure that there's that positive working relationship with decades to come. Stuff like that takes time. And so we really really went into the background to, to focus on that kind of work. So the, the, the work is more or less done and, and you're going to, you and, and everybody else is going to be hearing a lot more from us in the coming few months. So maybe for listeners who aren't as well versed in the topic, can you just give us the cold notes? Like, how did we get here? What, what is this, this idea we're talking about? Where did it come from? So the honest answer to the question, how did we get here? It's one big, awesome mistake. So it was back in 2016, I came up with the idea of the Edmonton Project and and, and, and it was really meant to challenge everything we thought we knew about community engagement and shake a big city building idea out of the passionate people in this city. And so the premise of the Edmonton Project was no rules. Give us your biggest idea. There is a third party process to f- select a winner. And there's a, a group of people from the business community standing on the sidelines with no say in what idea wins, ready to do whatever idea wins. And so it was a really unique proposition to the city, to the community, not not to city capital C, but to Edmontonians. And lo and behold, the gondola idea won. So I had no say. Nobody involved in Prairie Sky as it exists today had any say, but we all committed to do whatever idea won. And I think that that in of itself is a really cool story. That was, uh, I think it was March 2017, the the gondola idea from Gary and Amber Paula Quinn won the Edmonton Project. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is the weirdest, craziest idea ever. My reputation is so stained in this city. I didn't sleep that night. Uh, it, it uh, It was shaky beginnings for sure for me personally, but... Obviously, it stood the test of time. Weren't you worried about like a Bodie McBoatface scenario or something like that? I mean, gondola is maybe a bit out there, but it's not as crazy as it could have been, I suppose. I mean, so the story goes, Edmonton Project, uh, gondola wins that night. Next day I woke up, my phone was ringing off the hook. There was owners of urban gondolas all over the place, uh, technology partners, consultants, you name it, saying this is awesome. It's the right idea in the right time in the right place go for it and and that, that was all great and encouraging but I had no point of reference I, I had no previous knowledge into urban gondolas at all other than the the pitch I saw from uh, Gary and Amber that night and, and so it was a, it was a mad dash for me to really understand what the heck I was getting myself into I have to ask because you're a businessman. You've run businesses in the past. You have to understand the concept of an out. And I can't imagine you locked yourself into the Edmonton project with no out whatsoever. Because now you're like running Prairie Sky Gondola. You've got this whole new venture. Have you ever thought about just like pulling the escape hatch at some point and saying, <laughs> look, we went too far. Let's just get out of here. Maybe I did that night. Maybe I did the morning after. But 
But today I can tell you that sticking to it uh, and, and leading the team we have developed, uh, gathering the shareholders we have, putting in the hours we have every Wednesday for four hours, every Sunday for four hours, we gather and we work on this. That's been going on for two years. I don't have any regrets. It, there was uh, some pretty interesting twists and turns along the, the road and, and, and nothing has ever been a, a slam dunk on this project. But yeah, you know, no regrets. I, I think that I am more convinced today that this is going to be a transformative project for the region than I ever have been. On that point, the last we heard about this in the major news circuit was back in February before the whole world exploded and you had presented to council an update on the gondola as it was progressing. And on the first page of that assessment, uh, you said, quote, when I first heard the gondola idea, I thought it was silly too. Now, having just admitted that this whole idea was born out of an accident or a mistake, um, where do you fall on the spectrum now to from this is like a silly idea to this can be a sure thing? Well, you know, from a, the standpoint of applying urban gondola technology, there is a lot of precedence around the world of, of what works and what doesn't work. And the geography of the River Valley connecting what is the node of downtown and the node of White Ave, and also activating all sorts of city building, existing city building plans along that alignment, it, it, it really is uh, a best case scenario. If you were going to go to Urban Gondola School, they would say this is a textbook example of uh, an alignment that, that works and unlocks a lot of value, creates a good investment opportunity, and creates a lot of public benefit. It took me a long time to learn that, uh, but I'm glad I have. So what you didn't say there is that it's a slam dunk. I'm hearing the technology maybe makes sense and can work based on what we've seen in other places, but it also sounds like unspoken is that there's some barriers. What What's in the way? Is it council? Is there something else? Yeah, so maybe I'll just backtrack a little bit and explain what we're doing in phase two of project development, and that's where we're we're living right now. So phase two consists of three primary things. One, it's advancing the project technically. Uh, so we've hired environmental consultants, we've hired geotechnical consultants, we've hired structural, electrical, mechanical consultants, we've hired all sorts of consultants to have a look at this thing, ask the tough questions, and do their their, their uh, fancy engineering things and, and contribute to developing this so we can actually come up with a more informed budget of what it will cost. So that's number one, technical project development. Then we have the framework negotiations taking place with the city. Those take time. Uh, those are on uh, real estate uh, rights away, rezoning and permitting, the integration with ETS, public engagement, all of the fundamentals of the relationship that we hope to achieve with the city that will enable this thing to operate for decades to come. And then the, the, the third piece is the, the brass tacks, the numbers. Does, does this actually make sense for private industry? Can we show up to the table with the, the money, the capital money to build it? Can we show up to the table with the money to operate it? Does the revenue model sustain it? So those are the three things that we've been working on now. And all of that comes to a head at the end of October. So who's paying for all that work right now? We have 16 investors and we have a, a group of uh, financial partners that are quite literally from around the world. And they, they presumably have put some money in because they think they can make money at this at some point? Yeah, we have, uh, we have spent money. Uh, so back in the early days of Prairie Sky, when we had that first enabling motion to do the phase one preliminary economic and technical assessment, uh, we've been spending money on this. And I think that's what sets us apart from other project proponents, notwithstanding the more sophisticated developers out there that want to build a tower or, or whatever. We have put a lot of money where our mouth is on this. And, you know, we're very grateful to have a, a willing and supportive partner from administration, but it's been our money right from day one. I want to talk about that money a little bit because you've got these investors on board and they got on board for the Edmonton project. But I think it's fair to say you might convince people otherwise, but a lot of the reaction you'll get when you propose a gondola in Edmonton is, that's dumb. <laughs> that's, that's a quick reaction that many people have. And I would imagine in the business community, 
that was probably there too. Like you go to someone and you say, I want you to contribute a couple million dollars to do some technical and project assessments and environmental assessments to build a gondola over the river valley. How did you get over the barrier talking with your investment partners over the just like, you want us to do what and why? You know, I, I mean, I I come to the table with a bit of a track record of doing uh, outside of the box things and and delivering. So that's helped me a little bit in setting the stage for those conversations. But when you get the time to sit down with somebody who's been involved in sophisticated developments, whether it's a, a P3 hospital to a tower to, a, you know, we have investors that own ropeways themselves, it boils down to the, the caliber of people on your board that believe in it. It boils down to the skills and experience credentials of the people on your management team. And the third there is how robust and bulletproof is your financial model. And so if I go sit down with somebody and I got a, I got a good story, that being this coming from the Edmonton Project, I've got a solid board and a management team, I've got a plan and a financial model, and, and I've got projections that have been validated seven days a week, people pay attention to that. Not just people in Edmonton that I deal with on an everyday basis, but, but, but people in the Asias, people in Europe, people in South America. And, and, and so it's, you know, I struggle with this sometimes. If you, had, if you were to have the same city building conversation, but take the word gondola out of it, just, just put that word on ice, it wouldn't be as, as quirky a narrative. People would be right on, let's do it all day long. But chuck the word gondola into the conversation. It's, it, it just presents this layer of, you know, people get confused. People ask questions. It gets complicated. It's goofy. It's, it's, it's silly, you know. I have to ask, you mentioned that, you know, gondola makes everything a little bit harder. It makes the discussions just a little bit harder. Is that something that you enjoy? It sounds to me like you might perhaps enjoy the challenge that Gondola adds on top of just getting something regular built. I 100% wouldn't be here if I didn't enjoy the challenge. So back to the Edmonton project. I swear, I thought the winning project would be a Connor McDavid statue. And then the next day I'd wake up and have to raise a couple hundred thousand bucks and build a Connor McDavid statue somewhere uh, and wipe my hands of it and move on. In my wildest imagination, I did not think I would still be driving this thing uh, going on three years later. Okay, so let's talk about driving this bus. You say you have uh, some projections, some models, some uh, plans. Bring us through, why can this work? What's, What's the plan? What is the crux that makes this work when so many Edmontonians think, it can't ever work. Is it tourism? Is it transit? What's the secret sauce? Yeah, the secret sauce is, is it really boils down to the, the segments of people that will, will use Prairie Sky. And, and, and I got to make an overarching statement here. We tell ourselves every day, we are not in the transportation business. We are in the experience business. And one of the mechanisms that contribute to the broader Prairie Sky experience is moving people from one of the five stations to the next uh, as part of a bigger experience. So we are not in the transportation business. We are in the experience business. So then if you look at the, the people that are going to use this, uh, there are the urban commuters. Those are the people that live in White Ave, live in Rossdale, not so much Rossdale, but they live in, in, in the White Ave area and downtown. And, and those are the people that crisscross the river way more than the average Edmontonian. So that's one segment. The next segment, we call it uh, River Valley Activation. So our station down at the power plant is going to be significant. It's going to be commercially programmed as a place where people are drawn to, where people spend time at. They go have weddings there, corporate events there. The, the entire experience of that station is also going to be telling the Indigenous story. You know, we have 10,000 years of history down there. That's the original site of Fort Edmonton Park. There is such a compelling story to tell on that piece of, of our city. And, you know, we believe that there is a, a great opportunity to create a sense of place where people want to go, ride the gondola, and spend time. That, that would really appeal to people going to a hockey game, people going on dates, people having their weddings and corporate functions and things like that. And then there's the tourism piece. So domestic tourists and international tourists. So we essentially have four buckets 
of consumers. So this is the furthest thing from you hopping on and off a bus and paying $3.25. It is so much more about creating that that experience. A good example is Canada Day. Uh, you know, we've we've been we've spent months and months developing our our uh, projections and our, our financial models and f- statements and everything. And the one example I like to give is Canada Day. So it's fireworks. Everybody's down on the river. Da da da. It's it's the it's the big party. This is a private asset. You know, the the city is a great partner, but we reserve the right to create a private experience. So we. We put wine and charcuterie in the cabins. We charge you a little bit more money. We string you out there, and, and, and you stop over the river, and you watch the fireworks, and then, you, and then we bring you back to the next station. So that's just one simple example of how this is so much more than just transportation. I think we want to ask you about each of those different aspects, and maybe we should just start then with the, the tourism, the experience one. I mean, tourism has been talked about a lot, but I wouldn't exactly call Edmonton a hot bed of tourism. Canada Day happens once a year. How are you going to get close to those projection numbers? Is it presumably not mostly tourists then, right? Because isn't the projection like 630,000 for ridership? Like that's a huge number, right? Our, our projections uh, as they sit today, and these are, you know, maybe subject to being subtly sure. refined over the next few weeks. Uh, we project 1.7, a little more than 1.7 million round trips. So that's, you call it 3.4 million trips a year between urban commuters, uh, our own ability to, to draw uh, experiences to primarily the power plant station, domestic tourism and international tourism. I guess I'll ask the question, huh? Where, where are those coming from? Like, what's the breakdown between urban commuters and tourists? Like, how many of those 1.7 million round trips are going to be urban commuters doing their jobs versus how many are going to be coming to Edmonton for this experience. Do you have projections on that that you can yeah, share? Yeah, we do. We've reviewed 39 uh, pieces of uh, research data. We've we've engaged with stakeholders that have proprietary information over the past year. I can't tell you how many meetings we've had. So the projections we're going to be releasing in the near future and sharing with uh, with, with the city just to validate the, the, the project uh, is as valid as any projections out there in, uh, in the universe. And I got to say, you know, we recognize why we're getting an added layer of scrutiny on our projections. Uh, we, we appreciate that this is a significant project, not just for the city and the core, but for the region. It's a unique piece of infrastructure that's going to go over the River Valley. So we, we really understand the transformative nature of this project. But the, at the end of the day, uh, there's developers developing other projects in the city that never get asked that question. You know, the city never asks uh, Susie Q, the developer, if she thinks she's going to be able to lease out all the units in her new condo tower. So as much as we understand why we have this added layer of scrutiny on our projections, uh, a, a little part of me feels like it's uh, us getting scrutinized a bit unnecessarily. I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons why, right? You're talking millions, right, of of trips. And like all of ETS only does what? I don't know, 8 million in a month, like 90 million in a year. The biggest difference is um, we are in the experience business. People are going to make downtown Edmonton, make White Ave a destination. They're going to compliment going to a hockey game with a ride on the gondola. We are in the experience business. So, so comparing our projections with the, the cold hard facts of ETS is not comparing like with like. There's a segment of our business, it's important to us, that aligns with the objectives of ETS, but it's not our entire business. Because you've mentioned a couple times the experience of it all and how Rossdale Station is likely to become a premier station, a destination for uh, people, both commuters and tourists alike, to go and spend time and linger. I'm characterizing that roughly correctly, right? Yep, yep. So the cynic in me would say that a gondola is a gondola and maybe it could be a loss leader project. There's a lot of money to be made in activating Rossdale, a chronically unactivated, very pristine, high value piece of land in the city of Edmonton. That's core, that's central, that's on the river valley. Is that 
part of the business plan is the long-term development of Rossdale and perhaps Prairie Sky's ownership stake in some of that development. Is that part of the monetization strategy of the gondola? The gondola project, as is defined today with the five stations and the programmatic elements of those stations and the experience we, uh, we will create, stands on its own two feet as a, as, a, as a business. The balance of the opportunity here is the river crossing vision, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, and also cracking the code on the power plant and the pump house. And so we're at a place with our project where we feel quite strongly that if we are going to make the private sector investment to unlock the opportunities that exist inside of the river crossing vision um, and the power plant and the pump house, we want to make sure that we, we participate in that in some way. So, so there isn't a master plan. There's no backroom deals. There's nothing fancy going on. But we would really hope to first and foremost be a catalyst for the river crossing vision, for the power plant, for the pump house, for the touch the water promenade, for the McDougal Hill footbridge, for Plan White, for all of these city plans that exist along this alignment and participate in the opportunities moving forward that we find ourselves unlocking. So the answer is, yeah, we want to be there uh, and we're going to do everything we can to be there. But the fact remains that we are not there. Uh, the city needs to sort out their own affairs in terms of the governance of developing West Rossdale, the power plant, the pump house. And, but yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, everything you see and do and experience down in West Rossdale and the power plant, and the pump house would have the Prairie Sky logo on it. W- would it be better to start with the power plant? I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, the, the expression that nobody goes for the parking. Who cares how much parking you have if there's nothing to do there? And I get that the gondola is not parking. It's a little bit more of an experience than that. But isn't it better to have something to go to? I mean, this is one of the criticisms of the funicular, right? Aside from people who are actually using it for commuting, it's not really that helpful to get you down into the River Valley because there's nothing to do. So people will go to our station at the power plant. That station is probably going to cost about $30 million dollars. It's three stories. It's significant. Uh, It's big enough to house conferences, events. It'll have a fine dining restaurant. It will have a pub. Uh, It will have all sorts of other commercial space. We've had various meetings with the city on how how our our design philosophy can connect with the Touch the Water Promenade. We've had many meetings with EPCOR on how can we open up that space and create uh, a pedestrian experience that really draws people north-south to get to the river. So, so our strategy here, I appreciate where you're coming from, is a bit unconventional. But here's the problem with the power plant. If somebody out there knew what the highest and best use of that power plant was, it would be done by now. It's been vacant and sitting there for going on a few decades. I believe the fundamental problem with that asset, as special as it is to everybody in the city, is nobody can get there. And so if you solve the connectivity challenge to the power plant, then maybe, hopefully, the next day, the commercial opportunity, the highest and best use commercial opportunity for that power plant will become apparent. I guess where I was going with the question, though, is that that's not the situation we find ourselves in. It's not that we have this great asset that we're going to activate with a restaurant and all of these other great things, and we've got to figure out how to get there. It's the other way. We're going to build a gondola. And then once we have the gondola, we're going to build all this great stuff at the power plant. And where I was going with the question is why not just run buses? Why not just run some shuttles? Why not look at autonomous shuttles? We had the the test shuttle here in Edmonton and elsewhere in the region recently. I mean, I went on the power plant tour uh, a few weeks ago and got to see the inside of the building again. And it's an impressive asset. But the person at the end of the tour, you know, talked about the vision for the station a little bit. And they mentioned things like Granville and the Forks and all of these other places that people know as really awesome urban centers. And none of them have a gondola. Like, why Why the gondola? What? What is it about the gondola that makes the power plant work? Well, connectivity, the, the road network, the, the ETS infrastructure, the river crossing vision contemplates actually reducing uh, road connectivity to the area. It's not that we can't find a way to have buses run down there all the time or widen the roads or you know even put in bike lanes or something like that mm-hmm. the, the the fact is that's not the direction the city wants to go 
And that's not the vision reflected in the river crossing plans. Connectivity is actually going forward as we take steps to, as a city, to achieve what's outlined in the river crossing vision. Connectivity actually becomes more and more of a problem. I'll let you off the hook on that question just because as much as Mac would like me to, <laughs> I'm not going to take a bus down to Rossdale to go to a fine dining restaurant. It's just not something that I'm going to do. That's a bad experience. And I get where you're coming from, from the experience. This isn't saying you've sold me, but I'll let you off the hook on that one. Oh, it's my, it's the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Put you on the hook for this. We've talked in sort of grand abstract things about this experience and how we're going to get there and what it's going to feel like and urban commuters and all that stuff. How much is it going to cost? So that's an interesting question. And it's actually a complicated answer. So I'll start with the the term we use now in the urban gondola business is dynamic pricing. So if you are an urban commuter and you are going to, uh, I don't know, a Steget down at the uh, power plant station, or you are a domestic domestic tourist visiting your in-laws, or you're an international tourist, you can all be riding on a gondola at the same time, but you'll be paying different amount. And there's quite a science to achieving that, but we know how many people from which of those segments are going to ride this. We have conducted price elasticity assessments on each of those segments. So we really understand what each of those segments are willing to pay. And it's not the same. So in our financial models now, the urban commuter is going to pay very close to what a full day pass on the ETS network looks like. But the international tourist is going to pay $50, give or take a couple of pennies. That is a huge difference, right? So the, and and it, it's just simple economics. The, the urban commuter is using this as a transportation utility. They don't care about the bells and whistles. They don't care that you can charge your phone. They don't care about the, you know, it's just get me from A to Z as fast as possible. But the international tourist is going to expect an experience that is really refined and thought through. And there's a, there's a story everywhere they go. So what's interesting about this is, is in, in our model, in our revenue model, essentially the, the tourists subsidize the urban commuters. And the urban commuters, as a fringe benefit, get a commuting experience that is at the standard an international tourist would expect. Why have the uh, commuters then? If they're a subsidy, if they're a cost center of the gondola, why not just make it a tourism destination? I think that the diversification that satisfying the urban commuters offers to the revenue model, we're going to have a lot of urban commuters. We're going to have eight hundred, more than 800,000 round trips per year from urban commuters. It's, it's a bit of, uh, it, it's not a profit center. It's a big number. But it's, it's not the icing on the cake. And we're fine with that. What we believe strongly is that having a long-term working relationship with ETS, complementing their existing infrastructure, lightening the load on some of the more challenging routes, taking cars off the road is, is, is really important to us. Because we, we, we can't just drop a project like this into any set, uh, city center and, and, and be bullies. We, we actually truly want to have a long-term positive working relationship with the city and ETS. And, and, and creating something of value to urban commuters is that. There was some discussion uh, when this last came to council about this being, for the urban commuters, a potential add-on or a premium package for an ETS. That's still roughly the case. Your transit pass wouldn't get you on the gondola for free, correct? No, I think the intent is that uh, if you are a pass holder of ETS, you would have the option to purchase, you know, call it a gondola add-on. So given that, and given your rough framework of day pass cost for the gondola, a commuter, they can get downtown in their car six to 12 minutes. That's what Google Maps estimates even in peak hours for a white Ave to downtown trip in a car. The gondola, in my last reading of the predictions, comes in at about 12 minutes, the maximum car travel. What's the value proposition for car commuters to get out of their cars and get into the gondola? Uh, well, you don't have to deal with parking is one. You have the benefit of the experience 
the, the infrastructure itself is extremely, extremely efficient. So the, from a sustainability standpoint, uh, the footprint on Mother Earth is very light. And, you know, it uh, takes cars off the roads, as I said before. So we're not saying that this is going to satisfy every conceivable commuter over, over the River Valley, but we're quite confident that it will satisfy enough to make a difference. I did think it was interesting in the motion that uh, Council made back in February to basically proceed. They made it clear they wanted no public funding and that all risk would be you know, born by Prairie Sky and the other proponents, but they also wanted mutually beneficial integration with public transit. If there is such a key part of this where it's about commuters and taking cars off the road, should the city be putting money into this? Well, I mean, we've been steadfast since since day one. In, in spite of people's um, <laughs> statements otherwise, we, we have not once asked for any financial support in any which way from the city. And that that remains a fact. So if we move down the path here and, and we create value for ETS, then then that's us just being good corporate citizens. But if ETS, if uh, Eddie phones me up and says, hey, Jeffrey, you know what? We got this big thing going on and whatever the case is, we would love you to guarantee uptime. Then you know what? We might say to ETS, that's, that's fine. We're happy to do that, but we're going to have to send you a bill. And, and I think that's a healthy conversation that we might have down the road. But in terms of the definition of our relationship today with ETS, it's, it's them enabling us to create value for Edmontonians. They're, they're not putting up roadblocks. They're not subsidizing. They're not investing any money whatsoever. Uh, but they're also being very enabling. I want to take the conversation a bit away from the numbers uh, because we get enough of Mike Nickel already. We don't have to be him on the podcast. Uh, let's talk about what it might look like physically and what it might look like ecologically, because we do have the river of green that runs through the center of our city and the gondola does propose to cut through that. What does it actually look like? Are there going to be massive concrete towers along the entire right of way? So we do not propose to do a clear cut under the alignment. That's a, that's a fallacy out there. So we have never said that we would cut down every tree underneath the alignment, and it is not part of our plan. I will say out of the gate here that there will have to be very selective tree removal, but we also, we're all, most of us are developers. We appreciate that either every effort will be made to relocate those trees or other trees will have to be put in its place or compensation will be have to have to be made to the city so we're we're very aware of how important the just the natural areas in the river valley are but i'm not going to lie we got to take down a couple of trees but it's not a clear cut we have one tower that is actually in a treed area in the river valley every other tower is in an immediately accessible urban place beside a roadway. So the, the ecological footprint of this is dramatically less than widening a, widening a road or building another bridge. Uh, it, it, it is, from an infrastructure standpoint, with the capacity to move as many people as this system will move, the impact is negligible. One of the areas that this will run through, of course, as we've talked about many times already, is Rossdale. And I think it's always been a challenge to imagine development there because, as you pointed out earlier, it's such a historical part of the city, 10,000 years of history. But it does seem like there's Indigenous support for the Gondola Project. Billy Morin, the Grand Chief of Treaty 6, was listed as a supporter, if I remember correctly, in the report. Correct. Yeah, he's on our board. Okay. So why why do you think that is? Is it because it isn't really going to impact the River Valley land much? Or why why has there been such Indigenous support for this project when it feels like previous efforts to do something in Rossdale have struggled. So, uh, yes, we have uh, true support from Treaty 6 as well as uh, the Métis Nation of Alberta. And I think, you know, the the history of Rossdale goes back 10,000 years. It is complicated and there are a lot of communities that feel like for whatever good reason that the land is theirs. And it, what what made it even more difficult is that one day we, we as in you know the you know people like I guess us, showed <laughs> up and decided to uh, build Fort Edmonton Park there, 
And, and then so Fort Edmonton Park became a place of commerce for the entire region. And that further compounded the, the, the sort of the, the true history of the land. And so when we showed up and, and, and communities started to realize that we're actually serious about this, we have people involved in Prairie Sky that have incredible track records of, of, of engagement, consultation, reconciliation. They've done incredible projects with, with all sorts of Indigenous communities and in all sorts of places. They started to take us seriously. And I think our, our, our willingness to treat this as an experience business and not a transportation business really opened the door for them, uh, whether they're Treaty 6 or Papas Chase or Métis or wherever they come from, they all have a story. And, and it's, a, like I said, it's a complicated story and we're going to do our best to tell it. But we made a safe place for them to come and, and, and use, use this project as a platform to tell the story. We're not pretending to be experts. We have some people on our team that are experts. I'm definitely not an expert. But, but because we have framed this as, as us being in the experience business, you know, they're, they're excited to tell their story and we're excited to tell their story. Coming off of the last uh, February meetings about the gondola, um, I would say it is fair to characterize council gave you tentative buy-in to this plan. There was caveats about integration with ETS, about no public money, about perhaps guaranteeing uh, risk and debts. But if all those boxes are checked, there was the go-ahead from council. And then the mayor, Don Iveson said that your job essentially is to convince citizens of this. What's the plan to go about doing that? Because, I mean, I don't think we're the only two in the city that are skeptical. I know our metrics of this podcast and just coming on this podcast isn't going to be enough. So if that was your whole strategy, sorry, bad news for you. Um, what's, what's the go forward strategy? How do you convince Edmontonians? We have ambassadors out in the community that talk to people every day. We've engaged with all sorts of um, uh, stakeholder organizations. I could list them all. I'm sure you could guess them all from the most important real estate owners in and around the alignment to the, you know, Treaty 6 and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Uh, Randy Gregg and his group, the Trio Vest and Hoop that own ATB Tower and Telus House, the BIAs, the community leagues, you know, the, the, the list goes on. So, so we're in a bit of a precarious place. We took the foot off the lobbying and community sort of, you know, just put yourself out in the universe gas in January once we had a good outcome at council. And, and the reason for that was because we were getting very politicized very quickly and people were asking us questions that we reasonably, very reasonably, didn't have answers to. And so we needed to get to work. We needed to focus on defining this project technically, coming up with the business model, refining the projections, and then coming back to the community with, with a bigger, uh, more robust and valid story. And we're only starting to do that now. Before you guys, I've only had one presentation on the current version of Prairie Sky. We have been very quiet, other than the odd little Instagram and tweet, Twitter thing or whatever. We've been very quiet, and, and that was part of our plan. So like I said before, you're, uh, you know, we're, people are going to hear a lot more from us, and, and the story is going to be bigger and more compelling, and we're really excited about that. It's interesting that you say that there was questions that were being asked that you didn't have the answers to or couldn't give the answers to, because in our show notes, uh, when we asked earlier, uh, what is it going to cost, we then have three follow-ups. No, seriously, how much does it cost? And we know it's proprietary information, but actually, how much does it cost? And go figure, you just that told us right off the bat how much it cost. Um, so that really took the wind out of our sales earlier in the episode. <laughs> that was an accident. I'm not that smart. So don't think I have some, some, <laughs> uh, some complicated plan here. I can tell you how much it's going to cost. I can tell you how much the cabins are going to cost. I can tell you how what options we're going to have in the cabins. I can I can tell you whether the station is going to have a polished concrete floor or, or linoleum. I, you know, like it, the amount of work the team has put into defining what this project is over the past six months uh, will will come out in the community over the next little while here and I think I, I think people are going to be impressed you know Councillor Cartmel asked us last time at council about foundation design on on a specific station and I, I was like what the heck are you asking that for like you're an engineer you know there's there's a certain logic to developing a project develop they're developed smartly incrementally in line with the capital plan 
that takes the project to value creation milestones. Six months ago, I couldn't tell you how big the foundation system would be for a 30-meter tower. Today, I can tell you exactly how big it'll be. How big will it be? It'll be about 10 meters, 10 by 10. Okay, I've been dying to ask you this all episode. Would you describe this project as world-class, and will it put Edmonton on the map? Yes. And are you being serious or sarcastic? I'm, I'm being dead serious. Uh, we have been, uh, at, you know, we again, we sort of took ourselves out of the public eye for the past, well, since January, whatever that is. And our capital plan, this is this project is expensive. You know, I don't have $200 million sitting in my piggy bank. And if you guys do let me know, maybe we can talk. But what we did is, is, is we took the story of Edmonton and we, we looked at how money works and how money is moving around the universe. And we took the story of Edmonton to very specific places and we sold Edmonton. And then we said, you know what? There's this cool project in Edmonton that you might want to have a look at. And so, you know, we have our investor group now. The project is well-funded. It's it's in a healthy place, but we are not different from any other significant developer out there uh, in the city building towers or malls or whatever it is. You depend on the capital markets to get behind your project. And so what we're going to see on this project is the vast majority of the equity we need is not going to come from here. It's going to come from two uh, international areas. Uh, and, and, and that's foreign direct investment. Those are people that have never invested in Edmonton, being sold on the story of Edmonton, and then in a secondary fashion, being sold on this project. And that, that is a cool story. So I have a question for you that I think will be important going forward. Is it Prairie Sky's official position that it's gondola or gondola? <laughs> I don't know. Let's come up with something different. Let's like put it, I don't know. I don't know. Sky cars? Ropeway is the generic term, but I, I don't know. I don't like that. I, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong here. Just not Hyperloop. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> So we're about running out of time. We went a little bit over, but I think it was important and we've waited for this. Um, I think we'll leave it with giving you the last section of airtime. You've got our listeners. Assuming you have sold us or haven't sold us, sell the listener. What's, what's the Coles notes of why this can be successful and what should our listeners take away going forward? I think the city of Edmonton uh, administration and all sorts of council priorities have, 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 have shaped a series of objectives along this alignment from, from the McDougal Hill uh, pedestrian bridge connecting, um, you know, ETB Tower and TELUS House to the funicular, uh, the river crossing vision, the touch the water promenade, plan white, uh, the, the, the city has done a really great job on engagement and defining those projects. And I have a lot of friends that work for the city and they're planners. And I say, well, why the heck haven't you done your plan yet? And they say to me, well, I'm a planner. You know, it's up to you to execute. And so I look at this project as, as a huge opportunity to create public benefit for Edmontonians because it will serve as a catalyst for these already approved and defined plans that were the initiative of the city and were the outcome of public engagement. And, and you know, we show up as a private enterprise and, and you know, it's, it's, it's a, obviously it came from nowhere and the rules of engagement are a little bit different. But I, I think fundamentally why we have been able to get as far as we have been able to get is because nobody that is informed can stand back and look at the facts of this project and say you're 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 getting in the way of this plan or you're forcing us to change this plan or you're or you're scrapping this plan everywhere you look on this project we're enabling existing city plans and we're doing that as a private enterprise and and you know what like the 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 city building story 10 years ago five years ago two years ago one year ago is is arguably entirely irrelevant and and i feel like Take the word gondola out of what we're doing. The future of city building is the public sector getting creative, leveraging the private sector to unlock that public benefit. And that, that, that's exactly what we're doing. Insert gondola. So you've um, said there's a ramp up strategy for the next coming months. What should people look for? What are the big checkpoints in the next few weeks, next couple months? What's next? Our business case will be complete in its entirety at the end of October, handed into the city immediately thereafter. Got a, a long list of uh, 
presentations that are scheduled to be made in November. We have uh, we have uh, our community advisory board being launched in the next few weeks. We've selected the chair of that, and she's uh, she's a rock star. Everybody in town will know her. I think the coolest thing about our philosophy on uh, public engagement is how we have structured the community advisory board. So we have no say on who's on that board. We, we want diversity and we want everybody to be represented, but that board has a lot of authority. And I, I, I think when we announce the chair of that board and, and how that board will be uh, organized and, and function, I, I, I think it, it's going to go back to our roots, you know, Edmonton Project. I'm the crazy guy in town that committed to do whatever idea was spit out the ass end of the Edmonton project. And so I am fully comfortable uh, charging this person to lead a community engagement board and, and truly gather feedback from, from the community and take action with it, you know? Uh, so that's really exciting for me, obviously. Uh, and then we're, we're going to be a council in January. And so we got to talk to lots of councillors and give them updates and, and and so the so the story goes on. Cool. Um, thanks for coming on, Jeffrey. I'm sure Mac and I will gossip about you behind your back on future episodes. Um, but I suppose you can listen, so not really behind your back. <laughs> and we appreciate you answering our our tough questions today. I no, don't know no, that you. It was my pleasure, you guys, and uh, I I had fun. You guys are fun. <laughs> well, well. That's going on the iTunes review. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are kind of like yin and yang, though. Don't tell us which one is yin. Uh, it's just going to be upsetting to the <laughs> other one. Leave it to our imaginations. Yeah. Thanks again for coming. Uh, it was so great having you and good luck. Uh, may the odds be ever in your favor because, like you have said, you have inserted the word gondola. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, guys. We learned a lot about paying for a gondola this episode. Paying for this podcast is the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowment funds intersect with the community. Episode 78 is all about millennials and technology, and is hosted by Taproot's own Emily Rendell Watson. Subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Jeffrey. And we're Speaking Municipally. Speaking.